Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Hello, my friends. I have a question for you. Do you know what your handwriting can tell you about you? Do you? Have you ever thought about it before? Like, I know when we were all growing up and like trying to figure out how to write, we always wanted that like super pretty, like cursive or just elegant stay in the line type handwriting. I was always more of like a really big scribbler and sometimes I had to go back and it was a mix between like, you know, regular and cursive and sometimes it would go a little crazy. I later did some research and found out that if like you're writing so fast and it's so scattered and sloppy, so to speak, that it's actually a sign of intelligence because you can't write as fast as the thoughts are coming out of your head. However, I have a friend today. I call her Betty White. Her name is Sandra <laughs> Foote. She is the owner of Write Facts LLC. And she is, there, well, there's two sides of the business because I met you at a holistic fair. So you can come in and get your handwriting written on this beautiful pad of paper. And she's going to analyze it intuitively and tell you so many things about yourself that you didn't even know you knew, or you're like, how do you even know that for my handwriting? But my most fascinated, did I say that right? I am so fascinated with the fact that companies actually hire you for employees, um, personal screenings for employees, compatibilities, business reports, jury screenings, evaluation disputed handwriting, and even team building workshops, which team building workshops back in my corporate days, I wish I'd have known you in because I'd have brought you in for a lot of team building exercises. But before I keep rambling about how fascinating I think your business is, I would like to introduce you to everybody that's listening. Hi! Hey, good morning. Good morning. It's so nice to see you. I'm thrilled to be on your show. Uh, it's just beyond thrilling. Anyway, um, my name is Sandra Foote, as you did say, and I like the Betty White. It makes me feel chipper and happy. And then um, we met, what was it, two years ago at a holistic fair. Is it? I, and I think it's longer than two years. I think we've done three. There's been three shows now. Well, yeah, it's quite a few. All right. Well, I'm just saying, let's not jip our friendship. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, so um, uh, I have been doing handwriting analysis for over 32 years, and I'm uh, um, really kind of amazed at how much I learned just on my own, even after I went through the Graphoanalysis Society and uh, what was it, 1991, I was certified, and then uh, found a group in uh, Kansas that uh, was part of the society, and I picked the smartest guy in the whole room, and I'm figuring he just is can't be that smart. I mean, you can't find those things in handwriting. And so I stuck my handwriting in his face and I said, now see, what, what's my problem? And he told me right away what my problem was. And his name was Roy Smith. And uh, I picked him to be my mentor. He was my mentor for 24 years. And then he died. And so I'm on my own. 
but I have all his training behind me, and I'm just always pleased that people are interested in what I do. So um, how I got started in it is that my son and I went to the library, and he wanted to see some cool books. And uh, so we went to the psychology section, and a lot of the books there I wasn't really interested in. But I saw this one uh, by Milton Bunker that was talking about what your handwriting tells about you. And I'm going, yeah, right, that's funny. And so I checked the book out. And at that time, I really didn't know who I was because uh, of various circumstances in my uh, childhood that I had no control over. I just survived. And then um, I was finding, raising my kids, trying to do the best I could. So we went to the library and found this book. I checked it out and I'm going, oh, this is cool. This is really cool. And it's just like, oh, wow. And so then I checked it out again after the two weeks was up. And then I checked it out again and again and again. And I started figuring out that my writing was actually telling me about my personality and why I respond to people the way I do and why I liked my alone time and why I liked the visit and I was outgoing and all the things that to other people were obvious, but to me, trying to figure myself out, it wasn't that obvious. So anyway, um, after a couple years, I asked the library if they'd just sell me the book. Well, they couldn't do that again, apparently, but um, I wrote to Milton Bunker and asked him to tell me about my personality, and I wrote him this long letter, you know. Well, he didn't answer it. Well, I didn't know he died, too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I found the International Graphoanalysis Society, and um, graphoanalysis means grapho, handwriting, analysis, of course, is analysis. So anyway, um, I joined the group, and, and uh, I was a member of that group for many years. I think I, I uh, stopped my membership in 2015 or something like that. Anyway, um, uh, I kind of went on my own and branched out, and I worked for companies. Uh, I worked for Axiom Business Systems for quite a while in Australia, and I'm working for ERP. It's called Go to My ERP, and it's a, a technical company with a lot of technical involvement, but they need to have people that work remotely and that can work together as well as remotely. And so um, uh, he's a, an amazing, amazing client. And uh, we have never met in person. We met on Zoom once, and we have the most amazing relationship because we're able to talk about his company and the people that he wants to hire and make sure that they're a good fit. Now, that might sound kind of interesting, like why would you select people to work for a company? Why can't, why can't you just give everybody a fair shake? Well, if I'm going to apply at a nursing facility and that's really not my cup of tea do you think that i'm going to be happy within three months well no i'm going to quit the job because i can't handle the stress or whatever nursing involves so my job is to make sure that if you don't really want the job to exclude you from 
the personnel file before you even get on because I want you to be happy too. And that's how I met my current client, Robert Epley, as I uh, did a handwriting of his, um, I analyzed it for Axiom Business Systems, and they wanted to have him be in a, per- a certain position. Well, he was an entrepreneur and would not fit that position, so I told the Axiom Business Systems, no, it wouldn't work. Robert is now working in his own company, happy as all get out, and able to do what he wants to do as an entrepreneur. So that is a, a basically a public uh, example of uh, a person that didn't get hired in one company, but actually started his own because of the analysis. Well, I and mean, so, I think it's I think it's extremely powerful because, um, especially from In my, I like to call them corporate days, turnover. I worked in a very high turnover industry anyways. Um, You're not really, like, meant to stay there. You're, like, there to stay to get some extra money, move up in the ladder, like, move on to something else. Um, But your business really helps control that, not just them coming into the interview and knowing how to say the right words and do the right things and wear the right outfit, so to speak. And then you're right, like three to six months down the road, they're just like, yeah, this actually isn't for me. I got to go. And that was one of the biggest things that we talked about where we're just like, okay, if we're losing people, it's on us. Why are we losing them? How are we losing them? What can we do to keep them? Like we were always (laughs) obsessed with conversations of how to control turnover. So your business astounded me because from the get-go, you could just get a couple samples of some handwriting and you give out these very thick detailed reports of this person and their productivity and what even what their productivity will be down the line and that's what I find so fascinating because I haven't I mean I haven't experienced your work through like an employment I definitely got um you telling me all about myself at the fair and I was so blown away not only like by your intuition and the feeling and the way that you're guided and know how to say things um but I hate to be like the science behind it because I don't even understand it I haven't researched it enough to go how does she literally look at handwriting like this and do this it's incredible and I have talked to like I had a friend David He came into the show and he had been practicing calligraphy for a couple months and he noticed through practicing calligraphy that it was starting to change his handwriting over time. And he, it was his first time at one of these fairs and he's like, what do I do first? And I said, you have to go get your handwriting read. And he just goes, what? And I was like, just, (laughs) I said, just go do it. I'm like, you will not regret it. I'm like, it's going to blow your freaking mind. And it's going to send you on a whole different rabbit hole that you've never been down before because it's another characteristic about yourself that you've never paid attention to because you're just like, oh, my handwriting is this. Like, it's not like it's going to tell you anything about yourself, right? So he comes back and his face, I mean, he's like one of the happiest guys I've ever met in my life. Like, so his face was just like, Oh my gosh, he's like, how does she know? And I'm like, I know, that's the magic <laughs> of the situation. Like, you 
you're completely validated on a lot of things that are like either stopping you or here's a fear, here's something that happened to you. Like all of these things that like you really don't talk to people about, right? Like it's kind of hard for you to analyze. So the fact that you can sit there with just that person's handwriting and be like, okay, so we're going to talk about this right now. And they're like, I don't, I see people like I walk by your booth and they're like, how does she, how does she do that? <laughs> you know, and like husbands and wives will come up like before they do the compatibility thing, like the wife or the husband will sit down and like, they'll go away with the pad and paper and they'll just be like, uh, honey, you have to go sit down. Like, I know like our brains can't wrap around it because again, we're not trained to think that our handwriting tells us anything about us. It's still a very broad category if you go out there. It's like, if I have sloppy handwriting, if I have, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so many, yeah. it's just still such a broad category of, it's kind of like horoscopy, right? It's just like, oh, if you have this handwriting, you're kind of like this. If you have this handwriting, you're kind of like Well, it's like really this. not like horoscopes though. It's, it's. It's, I mean, horoscopes and, oh, I'm and not astrology. Saying about your work, I'm saying about the research that I'd done where it was right. before I knew your work. I was like, okay, so I might be intelligent because I write really sloppy and fast. Cool. That's all I knew. But then I go to you and I don't remember the details verbatim. I tried to, I told you, look for my papers so I could pull them up and be like, look at all the stuff she showed me. But at the time in my life, because we like to redo them at the fairs over and over to like, you know, see what change keeps both of us up on our games. Um, the things that you pulled out of that piece of paper was like better than a tarot reading, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, and it's just, it, Truly still blows my mind. It's still fascinating. Like I, my mind is still like, how does she do that? How does she do that? How does she do that? Over and over and over. And it repeats. And I know that you're, I mean, classically trained, right? I mean, you had such well, yeah, a I, mentor. I when I learned through the Graphoanalysis Society, uh, I learned what each letter meant, what each stroke meant, what each dot on the paper means, what slant, what depth, uh, size, um, um, size, um, and how round it is, the shape of the stroke, everything like that. So, uh, analytical people are not often the ones that take you at first glance. Analytical people are the ones that will find the trouble first, and so they're good trouble troubleshooters. And so that's great to be a troubleshooter as long as you have the solution to the trouble. If you don't, then you can be someone that nobody wants to be around because all you find is trouble. <laughs> and so um, when you uh, write to the, uh, with the slant that goes to the right, you're outgoing. And if you write to the left, it's uh, because you're shy. If you write straight up and down, it's because you're objective. And, and the size, <laughs> size matters because you, when you write large, you're very aware of your surroundings. When you write tiny, you shut all your surroundings out. And so handwriting is like your EKG of your personality. And so when I find the, the issue of the personality, the, the things that you have to deal with, then I give you graphotherapy, which changes your writing, which is just in reverse of the EKG. It's, it's going uh, 
subconsciously from your hands to your head instead of your head to your hands. And so it's easy to explain to people, but the concept is hard for them to, to uh, understand sometimes. And the biggest thing I look for when I'm uh, looking at handwriting at the fairs is their communication. And so I'll find, well, they, if they communicate well, I will look for other things in their writing. But if they don't, sometimes, you know, they'll, I'll see that a female was in, uh, dominant in their life that they had to listen to that maybe they didn't really want to listen to and they didn't like their opinion or they didn't like the way they were disciplined by that person, but it's affected them their whole lives. So say, say your mom was really harsh on you and you had to listen to what she said, regardless of your opinion, you grow up thinking that all women are the same as your mother. And so I'm there to say your mother's one person the other people, the other women in your life are other people. So don't confuse them with your mother and her issues. And then I give them um, a graphotherapy and tell them how to write a certain letter a certain way that will help alleviate that problem. And then the same holds true if the dad was harsh on the, the child, if the dad spanked him too much or, or ridiculed him too much, and then it affects their work life and, and their professional life and um, many times you'll see where the the dad was very helpful in the work environment, but not helpful in the pro, uh, personal environment. So it's 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 gets really detailed, but that's what I usually hone in on uh, at the fairs. And then when I start talking to the clients, it's like um, the the intuitive part is when. The science kicks in and then everything I know pulls together to make a whole personality out of that writer, out of that client that's in front of me. And often I'll look like past them, like I'm looking past the camera here and I'll look past them and I will say all sorts of things that uh, apply to them. And they're going, how did that happen? You know, and I even have a hard time understanding how it happens. I don't even understand that how I do it. It's just like it's a process. It goes from the writing to my brain to my intuition. And I was taught by Royce that I'm highly intuitive, but I didn't understand what intuition was. And, and so um, he kept explaining to me that it was a God-given gift that I have that I was able to do what I do, especially with handwriting. And then one day it's like, oh, now I get it. And he says, I teach you, teach you, and teach you, and you finally catch on. And so, you know, we have a hard time understanding ourselves more than anyone else does. So um, I, I did a team builder workshop for the the company in Australia that I uh, worked for for a few years. and. It was Axiom Business Systems. And one of the, the letters of uh, recommendation or the uh, letter from a, a fr uh, one of the clients there, he says, thank you for the effort you put into today's team builder. Over many years, I've done various team builders using DISC, Myers-Briggs, TMS, etc., and have used generic boxes to 
describe each person and then generic box to box rules and see we're not all in a box we're all individuals there are no two people alike there might be similarities but there's no two people alike it's just like your fingerprint it's always always unique just to you and um, yes it changes it changes from day to day and it can change hour to hour depending on how much caffeine we have or what medication we're on or what stress we're under but the general characteristics follow through at all times if they don't then you have someone that has some major issues and I'm not a psychologist so I can't tell you um, again I don't like put putting people in a box I don't believe all bipolars are bipolars the same way or ADHD I don't believe in that I don't believe in um, the same kind of anxiety showing through in everybody there's always a reason for all of those things I love that you brought up the personality tests because those have always just annoyed me anytime I had to take them for a company and I like you, like I felt like I was put into a box and there were things like professionally that they would hit that I would be like, yeah, that's accurate. That's accurate. That's accurate. But there's so much more about me than what I have ever seen revealed on like the business aspect of those. And they annoyed me because I felt like I was being treated like just a generic ABC personality it's like oh I'm this I'm this I'm this I'm like I refuse these labels like I mean I know I have to take this damn personality test to get this test or this promotion but this is really annoying so even when I found you I was like there's another way and there's another way to not even like cut out part of the employee and actually mm -hmm. bring a hundred percent of them up to the front and be like, this is who you're getting because interview questions are still pretty generic, right? It's like, yeah. can you do the job? Are you going to quit? What's your last work history? Are you passionate about, you know, like it's just so freaking standard. I have, I have interviewed thousands of people from being a hiring manager for my old job. And I think it's probably the reason that I like interviewing now, like on topics that I actually like, because I had to go and like, first when I started out, I had to have like a list of interview questions in front of me. And like, they were so boring. Uh, and I was like, I need to know more about your personality. Like anybody can really do this job. You just have to be nice to people, learn our menu and like, you know, follow the rules, right? But I was like, I wanna know personally who I'm hiring because you need character here. You need to have it's kind of like a Broadway show that serves food sometimes, you know? So you, you kind of got to be like really peppy and stuff. And usually when people come in for interviews, they're, they're like, I want the job. I hope I don't mess this up. So it's like, don't be yourself, right? So I'm sitting here and eventually like, I'll get two or three questions deep into it. And I'm like, listen, I really need to know who you are. Like, I need, I need to just kind of like loosen up, like have some fun with me because I'd like to see who I'm actually hiring. Because what I've noticed when I started hiring people, I would get the interview personality of them for roughly three weeks, maybe a month, and then who they actually are would come out. And I had a high percentage rate of, wow, I really like who you are. And I had a 30% rate of, 
who the F did I just hire? Like, I, you know, I went back to their interview and whether they were, they were just like too much or they were like really freaking lazy and just like manipulative and just like drama, all of that crazy stuff. I was still just like, how did they fool me in this interview? This is crazy. And it always came down to the generic questions that I had to ask to see if they were compatible with the job. And the fact that like they were, I think everybody goes into this like robotic, please hire me personality. Like, uh-huh, yeah, I'll be good. No, I totally want to work for your company the rest of my life. Yes, I'd be a great fit to your company. And again, it's just all like generic over and over. But I will say I did like to like doctor it up with like, um, if you could uh, have any superpower you wanted, what would it be? You know, like if you could, cool. if you could have any, if you could, I don't even know. That was probably my favorite one at the end because it would be super serious all the way through, like kind of some giggles at the end. I'm like, okay, last question. And this is the biggest determination on if I can offer you the position. And they're like, okay. And they sit straight up. I was like, if you could have any favorite, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And they're like, really? I'm like, really? Like, think big, bro what do you want? Um, and that kind of helped like break the ice and stuff. But again, I really wish that I knew that you existed back when I was actually a hiring manager because the individuality and the way that you're able to encompass all of the person and shoot it down the road for the employer to help with turnover, still amazing. But the team building workshops are a really great idea. Um, can you talk to me about jury screening? Are you like allowed? Um, I haven't actually done jury screening because, um, I'm not in an area where, uh, it's needed. And I mean, I can, I can do it. Is that what it would be then? Uh, It would be the personality if they, if they gave me the questionnaire. So yes, I'm qualified to do it, Mm -hmm. but I've never actually done it. Um, I participated in jury selection. Oh gosh, I think it was in 2011 and um, it was about an apartment complex and they needed to um, the is it HMO the organization that takes care of homes, they didn't like the way the roofing company uh, patched up some roof, the roofs of the apartment complex. And so um, our, the, the people that were hiring the attorney I was participating with, uh, they were the roofing company. And the HMO was the ones that were prosecuting, wanting to have um, uh, better, better roofing tiles. They wanted them all to match. So I told the, the handwriting expert that was actually working on it. I said, well, you don't want anybody that likes everything pretty. So you don't want anybody with a lot of dignity, dignity and pride on the jury because they're going to vote in favor of the prosecutor. And I said, you want somebody that doesn't care what color or anything um, about the tiles. They just want it to be serviceable. So you want just, um, for lack of a better terminology, you just want the regular everyday people that that just, it's serviceable, it works, don't don't mess with it. Yeah, no leaks. And so, huh? Said no leaks. Yeah, as long as this doesn't leak, it's okay. And so, anyway, I don't rem- I don't know that I know how that trial came out. I 
was never involved in that after that. But um, the the handwriting expert that was actually doing the selection, she she said my ideas were great, and that she and she used them. So, um, but that was that was a long time ago. But um, that's what I would look for if you know if somebody is being um, accused of. I'll just say being angry with somebody else, then I I kick all the people off that have anger issues and have just people that are cool and calm and collected. So um, anyway, it's it's a detailed process. So um, Are you allowed to talk it, about being an expert witness in any? Uh, yeah, I've, I've actually testified. Uh, the very first time I went to court, I was a surprise witness. And so um, the other the other side, the the prosecuting side, wanted to to have a certain property, and they said that it was given to them by Grandpa in the will. Well, I found that Grandpa didn't even create the document, and Grandpa didn't sign the document, so it was invalid. And so the they found out that I was a handwriting expert, so that document didn't even go into the proceedings. They took it out of the proceedings. So the next time I went to a deposition, and the deposition was interesting because the attorney tried to disqualify me and discredit me, and I stood my ground, and he got very upset, and so he... Uh, my deposition actually helped out my client. So that was helpful. Um, and depositions are not when you're in the courtroom. They're in a conference room usually with everything's recorded. And then the next time I was in, um, there was a grandpa that gave his Camino, El Camino, to uh, one of the grandkids. And so... They, the grandkids were fighting over who got the El Camino, even though Grandpa said, yes, this is who he wanted wanted it to go to. And so um, um, it always helps to, and, and I know with the interviews, that's what people do, but the, it, when you're in court, if you're an expert witness, you have to dress right, talk right, act right. Everything has to be according to the... Um, the process you you have to do you have to look credible credible to be credible and the opposing uh handwriting expert actually she dressed nice and everything but she didn't dress right she didn't talk right and when my uh client cross-examined her he had her shaking in the chair literally shaking and in while he cross-examined her and um then the next time i testified i testified against a fbi uh examiner and he was retired and um he and his client i don't think communicated really well and uh, he thought he had that authentic document, and he did not because there was none, none available. And so we testified on that, and um, that was real interesting because it was in front of a, a jury trial. And um, when the attorney, when your attorney client talks to you, you can talk pretty much freely and and let 
everybody know what you do and why you do it and all that sort of thing. Then when they cross-examine you, the best thing to do is say yes or no. And that's good for anybody to know that ever has to go to court. If you're cross-examined, it's yes or no. If your client is talking to you or your attorney is talking to you, then you can talk freely. So um, uh, we prevailed in that and that was actually a felony trial. So um, my client prevailed, and I was thrilled over that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Can you tell me about um, the compatibility handwriting that you're able to do? Okay, so when I work for my clients, I give them a graph, um, a graph uh, analysis. Yeah, let me see if I got one. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's it's just a grid, and then I do if they're below average, average, or above average, and then I rank them from one to ten. Then if they make it to be either six or seven, then I do a comprehensive report on that personality that the grid does not involve, and then after that, I I um, compare. I'll say Tom with with Robert and I'll see if how well they work together. And so they're both pretty much outgoing and, and so uh, you figure they can get along well and do what they need. But then if they got a John or somebody else that's involved, then I do the compatibility to see if Tom, Robert and John can get along together and John might be shy. And so it, usually if people are shy, they're kind of, uh, self-defensive, uh, they don't go on the defense, but they're self-protective is what I needed to say. And so they they don't want to um, uh, have anybody infringe on them on an emotional level because the person that is shy uh, had something bad happen to them when they were real little, little tykes. And then they look for a safe space. So anytime after that, trauma that that child had they go back to the safe space and so if somebody's shy they go back to the safe space before they reach out to other people and they have to get comfortable and so then you want to make sure that they're not a time waster so if they if they're conservative with their time energy and money then that might work for some companies but yet in marketing you want somebody that is more generous and more of a um, risk taker and some people are not risk takers. And so if you want a real energetic group, you want people that are willing to take a risk, that are, are secure in who they are and um, uh, willing to see something new. They want to get up higher on the, this, with the, the goals. They want to always reach the higher goals. They don't want to stay in the comfort zone down down where it's nice and easy and comfortable. Did that answer your question? Yes, sort it of? still blows my mind. Like, <laughs> so do you do like couple compatibility too? Yes. Okay. Now, you know, at first when I started thinking about compatibilities, it's like, okay, Sandy and Dennis, are they compatible? And it's like, no way, because they're so opposite. And it all comes down to respect for the other person's point of view and the other person's beliefs and the other person's way of living. 
And so if you have somebody that is super, super chatty, well, the quiet one usually loves the chatty person because they can't do that and they want to be with the chatty person. And then later on in the in, in the the relationship, they're going, why are you talking so much? Man, you just drive me nuts because you talk so much. Well, that's what drew them together in the first place. So just having the respect for people within their environment and when they're living in a close situation, just respect them, respect each other for who they are. So it doesn't matter if you're opposites. Opposites do attract, but sometimes compatibility is with the same sort of the same type of personality. You know, the, what I actually sense. look for is like if somebody has anger issues or um, somebody has a temper or uh, anything that can be harmful to the other person. That's what I look for with compatibility. Otherwise, most things are, are, are compatible. Sometimes you'll have somebody with a big writing and then the, another person will have small writing. And are they compatible? They're opposites. Are they compatible? Well, the person with big writing is talking to the person with little writing and they're going, hey, aren't you listening to me? Haven't you heard a word I say? And the little writer goes, no, I really didn't. So what you need to do is call, if you're the big writer, call the little writer by name. Say, hey, honey, I need to, or hey, John, or hey, Sally, whoever is the small writer, call them by their name because that will get their attention to you on an emotional level. And once you have their attention, the small writer will focus on you and you will have their un, undivided attention. And so that's a compatibility thing that I've often told people. And then you have the heavy line writer versus the light line writer. And so the person that writes with a light pressure, they need to be told that they're loved a little bit more often or that you appreciate them. Give them compliments to make them feel good. And the one that has a heavy writer, you don't tell them you love them all the time because you told them three years ago that you did, and they're good with that. <laughs> Again, it's just so mind-blowing. You can see so much, especially um, the one I remember you brought up in mine was like how deep you actually write into the paper. And I was like, I can't even believe that's a thing. Like there's so many little intricate details in all of our handwriting that we just have no idea. So I'm yeah. curious... Um, to talk about the intuitive side of it, have, have you had like, I want to say like clear cognizant, like just knowing, um, do you have experiences of that? Like since you were a kid, like intuitive, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it, but yes. Yeah. But you were like, Oh, why, why do I know this? <laughs> Where, yeah. Where did that come from? Well, but I, I wasn't aware of it. So, you know, when people would first meet me, they'd go, oh, hi, Sandra. It's nice to meet you. And, the, you know, we'd be like best friends until I open my mouth and say something that they knew that I wasn't supposed to know. And so people became very cautious around me. And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand my intuitive side until Royce told me and taught me. And it took him a long time to teach me because, you know, you look in the dictionary and uh, what's intuition? Well, it's a knowing. And I'm thinking, knowing what? And so then I bought um, 
different books and this is a cool story. Okay, so I went to Barnes and Noble, never been there in my life. And I was spending time with a friend of mine there for, and we had like four hours to kill. And I'm going, oh my God, what am I gonna do in this store? There's so many books, I don't even know what I would wanna look at. And so um, I was there for like two and a half hours and then I happened to look at this one bookshelf and the, the, the book was like right in my face. You know how they're all like, like this? Well, this was face forward and it said intuition. <laughs> okay, I have to buy that. And so that was my first intuitive book I bought. And then it went into the psychic realm and I'm going, no, I'm not interested in that. So then I bought some more intuitive books. And the, the more I bought, the more educated I became in intuition and the different kinds of intuition. And we all have intuition. But when I looked at handwriting, it's like, okay, if we all have intuition, how can I see what everybody has within their writing? And you, your intuition is very cognitive since you just reminded me that you write heavy into the, the paper. You have cognitive intuition where you know what's going on. You can see things and feel things from what you see, hear, and feel. And the kind I have is the one that's the hardest to define. And that's when it just flows through me. And if I don't catch it, it's gone. And so that's clairsentience. And so you're, you're clairaudience and clair buoyant right i have i've experienced all five of them at the beginning of my spiritual awakening and the ones that i tune into the most would be clairsentient clairaudient and claircognizant yes yes those are three out of the five that i actually prefer to keep and work on and like figure my on and off switch on it right Mm -hmm. um but I, have, I always have someone talking in my right ear. It's almost like they're explaining to me what people are saying. Like I, <laughs> like, I understand what you're saying, but, like, they'll tell me, like, other stuff. And then, like, the third eye, it's, like, Pictionary with spirit guides. Like, they'll show, they'll show me images or they'll send me a song, so many different things. Um, and I can feel... So when I first started getting into it, I started my yoga certification and I went through like mappings of the brain Mm -hmm. and that's when I started, like I knew how to feel my body from yoga, thank God, but I was like, I'm noticing when these voices are coming in that certain parts of my brain are lighting up. Like I can hear certain people on the right side, I can hear certain people on the left side, but if they're coming from the left side, I can actually feel the stream of thoughts like come out the back of my head. This part will light up, like so many things were happening. So I really took some time to figure out like what that feeling was. So when I was communicated with, I knew who it was coming from, if it was my people, if it was the people of who I was talking to. And I've directed most of it over to my right ear now. Usually if it's left ears, it's ancestors and past loved ones um, coming in because they usually always stand over here for me to like come talk to me. But all of like any guide, anything higher dimensional, I would say is always in the right ear. All the intuition, all the clear, clear sentient, the music only comes in the right ear usually. It'll come all over my body if I'm laying down and meditating. But if I'm like going along in life, 
and I'm like, you know, feeling almost like flighty and ungrounded. Um, it's like they send me a song to remind me to like go chill the fuck out. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, you know what you, you, know, what like, you just said. Of- what you said about the left and right, that's true in handwriting, too. Anything to the left of a, a, the slant, the left of a letter, whatever, it has to do with the past. Okay, so it has to do with the past, your mother, yourself, and uh, withdrawal and things like that. And then the right is always others, father, uh, opportunities, ambition, and forward thinking, and so so handwriting is is divided up in so many segments. There's also the head, the torso, and from the hips on down, and then there's um, uh, what else is there? I, I mean, that's that's the 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 main areas, and then uh, when you see that that you're going forward, then you can reach out to other people and understand them and they understand you easily. But if you're shy, then they don't understand you and they wonder how they can reach you because you're unattainable because you may have withdrawn. If you're objective, people kind of think you're a snob because you don't talk readily. You don't you don't, you don't respond at all, so you have to stop and think about it to see if it's the right or wrong decision. I feel like I'm and all so, of those things. <laughs> like, huh? I said I feel like I'm all of those things. I don't think well, I, yeah, I think you are. One. I um, think you are. I remember, uh, oh, God, a couple months ago I was hanging out with one of my friends. She's highly intuitive, reader, Reiki, all the, all the good vibes you could ever imagine from a human being, like, popping into your life. And we were with one of our other mutual friends and we were just, we were kind of like compliment training all of us and like all of our gifts. And we're just so grateful that we're all friends hanging out, developing, and you know, we're really good for each other. And then like, she just pops in. She's like, yeah, she's like, Cheyenne, we just love you, but you're so mysterious. And I was like, what? I'm mysterious? And they're like, yeah, you're, there's just something about your energy. And I was like, I literally have a podcast where I'll tell you anything you want. I'm like, I, I will like, I've published my journals for Christ's sake. Like you, I, I did not know that. Like, I know that like I have the introvert extrovert thing about me where I'm very outgoing. I love to meet people. I love going out. Um, but sometimes um, I am the exact opposite. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to read my book. Leave me alone. Don't make eye contact with me. Um, like, and it's just different days where, you know, like, but there's a different, there's a the reason indicator. why you do that. And I would be able to see the reason you do that. I know you would. And it would probably shock the shit out of me. Cause I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you're so right. You're so right. But I mean, I guess like I, I've always enjoyed like the devil's advocate of my life. You know, whether it's being that amazing outgoing person and then being that person who puts a hat on and doesn't, I, I just wants to disappear. I've, I've fallen in love with both aspects of myself. My friends have just recently seen, seen like how I act when I'm kind of in like hermit mode. And I'm not like, you know, like as outgoing and thriving as I am like at the holistic fair for three days. I'm like, oh my God. The hills are alive with the sound of music, you know? <laughs> and then, like, I come home and I'm like, okay, like, 
belly down on the couch, don't want to talk to anybody, put on, you know, probably like ancient aliens in the background or some history channel thing about ancient civilizations. And like, I'm just going to go away for a bit. Um, and I mean, I think that has a lot to do with, I've always kind of been that way, but I, I thought that there was something wrong with that. Um, but solitude is where I've learned so many things, not only about myself, but about the world. Um, it's where I learned to play piano first when I was a kid. It's, I mean, it's where my writing grew. You understand that. So, um, I really have taken a note from a line that Oprah Winfrey said on a show. I always forget the, a wrinkle in time. That's what it's called. And she said, your flaws are actually your gifts. And like, I remember hearing that and I was just like, yeah. They are because I've always been told I talk too much. And yeah, probably at the time I really wasn't saying much because I was like really young and in my 20s and just excited to talk. But I was like, now I'm like, yeah, I really do enjoy talking. I am surprised. I don't know when I take a breath. I'm just happy to talk. And I love talking about this. I love researching this. I love presenting all of these alternative perspectives to your to you and your intuition. And I want you to go, oh, that's so cool. Or just you know, liven up that curiosity. Cause it's like when we quit growing, that's when the ignorance sets in. And I had, yeah. I had a moment like that in my earlier twenties where I took a corporate job really early. So like from the 3d perspective, like I was successful. Like I had the job, I had the car, I had the 401k, I could spend money on whatever I wanted. I had a great credit score. Like I was climbing that ladder. Um, but I just felt so ignorant. I felt like so dead inside. And luckily, like I had yoga to kind of like keep jump starting me and stuff. But I would feed and water myself enough to just get back out there and climb the ladder again. And it was just like cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. It kept going, it kept going. And I finally hit a wall in like 2018, 2019. And I couldn't do it anymore. And my employer couldn't do it anymore with me either. Because I was just like, like I'm getting worse. And I realized that those, those, um, those negative emotions is what we call how you're not supposed to act, how you're not supposed to do. They were really big indicators for me that I'm like, I've learned all I need to learn here. If I don't close the door, the door is going to be closed for me. Yeah. And I do tend to kind of like act out if I'm not, it sounds bratty, but it's like, if I'm not happy, but I'm also like not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And whether I didn't have the courage to leave because I didn't know how to leave or the fact that I didn't want to go home and tell my family, like, yeah, I just threw my career of almost a decade away uh, that I've been building up that kind of just got tossed in my lap anyways. You know, I know a lot of people go out there like waiting for promotions and working their ass off for them. And they were kind of like, do you want this? Like, we think you'd be good for this. You should do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll try that. Oh, yeah, okay, I guess I'll try that. Um, and then money speaks, you know, especially when you're living in a metropolis. So you just kind of take the promotions as they come. But now it's completely different because all of those things that I felt like were bad, unlovable traits, so to speak, um, I mean, they're just a part of me. And some of them, they do need a leash around them and they don't, well, then no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> but for the most part, like, I mean, I thoroughly enjoy every aspect, whether it's the hermit mode of me, the one that needs solitude and for you to leave me alone. If I have to tell you to leave me alone more than one time, it turns into fuck off. 
kindly, <laughs> like, get away from me. I'm having conversations in my head. I'm writing. I'm about to journal. I'm about to meditate. Like, this is me communing with the divine. This is how I do it. Fuck off. Which, I mean, I don't say it to my kid or anything, but... I've had to say it kindly to a couple people because they don't enjoy solitude and alone time. Like, they had to be around other people. Yeah, some people are really needy. Yeah, and, but I used to be really needy. And I still think, like, I have my moments where I'm like, oh, I'm so needy. But I'm actually just like, I'm a big personality. I'm, I'm, I'm loud. I'm exuberant sometimes, you know? And then on the opposite, I'm like, all right, well, it's time for... It's time for me to go, you know, like <laughs> my curtain's closing, my battery pack's a little out, like I listen to myself and I know when that energy's kind of going down, so I'm going to go ahead and make my, my exit out the back doors. Nice to see you all. But I do have a question. I don't know if you know this, but um, so like I was born left-handed, but when I went to, went to school, they taught me to write right-handed, so... Uh, like I had a left-handed bow, I had left-handed golf clubs, anything that you would actually need, like left-handed wise equipment, we bought that for me, but I was taught to write right-handed. So, um, the way that you're writing shows which side, like what type of brain you are, like are you a left brain or a right brain person? So, um, one conspiracy, they made everybody write right-handed, so it would make them only light up the left side of their brain when they wrote because the meridian lines are, like, connected uh, contralaterally, yeah. right? So I was curious if you knew any, like, differences in right and left-handed people. I know there's people that can write both, but is there significance based on your work that would tell you anything about that person based on if they were left and right? Uh, when I did an anonymous note for law enforcement... Um, I could tell if somebody wrote with the left hand. It's not always easy to see if they write left-handed or right-handed because you can write with your teeth, your feet, doesn't matter. Um, your writing will be the same. And um, you will write, it's like brain writing. It's like your personality is continually the same uh, no matter what you write with. But I really, um, I don't think I can tell if you're right-brained or left-brained. Um, it depends on how much intuition shows. And even though we all have intuition, the people that see or that have the, the intuition that they see, feel, and hear, the tangible type intuition, they would be more linear. So I guess that would be what left-brained. Okay, so maybe I could tell that way, but I never, I never thought of it like that mm -hmm. because there again, you have to compartmentalize people to do that, and I don't like com putting people in a box. Oh, absolutely. I am obsessed with the right brain, left brain, the masculine, the feminine, like the fact that the hemispheres are one way, the sides of the body are one way, and the way like it can literally like DNA spiral down all of you. But then you get into, yes. like, meridian lines, mapping your emotional body. Um, and I've said this so many times. Like, if there are, like, avid listeners out there, they're like, oh, my God, she's talking about meridian lines again. Because they're 
they were transformational for me in my body and my practices. And I mean, I learned it through yoga just when I first started doing it in 2013, but then really embodying the practice and studying it more and seeing how it applied to my overall health and really figuring out like, everything on our body has a purpose, you know, yeah, like, for sure. no. like our whole body is really just like a message system from our brain to be like, Hey, like this is going on. Listen up. Okay. Well, if you don't listen up, something bad's going to happen and it's going to keep getting worse. It's going to keep hurting in your body. Um, and I do have a lady coming on to talk about dis ease in your body yeah. and how, yeah. you know, like the, it downloads emotionally in your brain first if you disregard it, it's going to physically manifest in your body to get your attention. If you keep pushing it away with like suppressants and all this other stuff, like it's never going to go away. You have to go to the root of it and like pull it out and look at it yeah. and examine it and like let it go. Um, and I think that's just some powerful research on its own. I know there's a lot of skeptics out there when it comes to like bridging anything like energetic and metaphysical with like regular modern day science and all of that. And I really need to find the year that this happened, that there was a year where science and religion got together and they were like, okay, we're science. We're actually going to only study all of the physical. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of quantum physics, but only like the mathy math part, you know, like all that. And then anything that we cannot see, cannot touch, um, like all of the spirit oh, and the metaphysical is that actually going to go to the church. And we're yeah. a science, we're not going to study it and we're not allowed to do anything about it. Right. It was literally a division of. Study. Yeah, I read about that and I forget what I, what year it was. Me too. I mean, it was hella back there. I know that for yeah. sure. But when I found that, I was just like, what all this shit is orchestrated. Like, what do you mean? Like there was. There was intention to split spirit and science. Yeah, 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 there was. There was. Unknowing, you know, you can't see it type thing. Um, but it's coming back. It's oh, coming back. Oh, it's bridging. It's hardcore. And I mean, mm -hmm. like, that's one of my favorite things to say is like, I love bridging spirit and science. But I didn't even get that exact sentence until I sent one of my friends the gene keys as like a little like life helper book. Cause I was like, dude, you don't read it all at one time. It's, it's like a companion for the rest of your life to like evolve and work on yourself. I was like, I have one. You're really into the analytical side of helping yourself. He's not really into like the spiritual stuff. I know he's really curious about it, but he's mm -hmm. such a left brain person that if it just goes a little too far, he's just like, mm, no, nope, that's weird. Bye. And he just like runs away really quick. <laughs> so I was like, here is an, here, here's one of the best things I've ever found that takes everything science, everything metaphysical, anything spiritual and puts it in a supremely tangible work workbook for you to really know yourself and evolve uh -huh. and like light that inner passion in yourself. And, um, he just sent me a text message one day. He's like, what did you send me? He's like, did you literally just bridge spirit and science for me? He's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just kept reading that text message over and over because I was like, he, he always has such a great way of putting things into words for me. I've taken so much of his, the things that he said and put them into my own work because I'm like, 
that's the thought that I needed. Like, that's what I've been doing this whole time. Like, I do love the science of it, and I do love the spirit of it, and I love looking at, like, different theologies or mythology or religion or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I was like, he's so good at just putting it in one sentence for me and being like, that's what I've been doing all along. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, have the gene keys. That's what I did for you, bud. But, yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm really trying to get all of these things to fit and work together and understand, like, not necessarily, like, why are all humans here? But I'm like, how does my body work for me? How does the universe always show me how it gets better? You know, how do affirmations work? How does prayer work? Mantras, da 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 on and on and on. Um, well, see, what I've, what I've found to be interesting as of late is, is so many things are actually universal. It's just a different uh, perspective. Like um, churches will pray. And universal people will uh, chant or or do mantras or things like that, and it's all the same thing, in in my opinion. And then um, oh, I read when, that. I know what you're talking about. It's like everyone is fighting over what it's called, but nobody is like discrediting that it exists. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I mean, I've been in multiple categories. Like, I still pray. I still. I still talk to Jesus. I grew up with Jesus. Uh, I did grow up with the Christian Jesus, um, but after doing my own research, because I was just like, I want to know like about Jesus the man, not Jesus Christianity, because I've kind of had enough of that. Um, no offense. It's just there were too many holes. There were too many questions that couldn't be filled. It just felt like somebody grabbed a bunch of freaking papers and was like, this is what we should tell everybody. And they put it in a book, but then there was mm-hmm. stuff missing for me and it drove me freaking nuts. And then mm-hmm. like you find like the Dead Sea Scrolls and Gnostic texts. You can go into Sumerian tablets, just so many different things that have come way before that book. And I was like, I would sit there and I would pray and I would talk to Jesus because like I was raised that, this is the only book that you need. This is the only savior that you need. If you go out of that, like you're basically going to hell. They're all wrong. We're right. Right. Um, But every religion says they're right. It's yeah, I know it's a little creepy, but I intuitively as a child, I was like, "Eh, this isn't right. Mm, This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good to me. So I grabbed, I dropped out of college right before I'm right before my world religions class. And I was super sad about it. So I actually still have the book to this day. It's huge. It's like a big world religions book. And I just sat down and started just picking through and seeing, what are you guys doing? What are you doing over there? What are you doing over there? What are you doing over there? And I loved Hinduism and Buddhism first. Buddhism still to this day, I think if I was baptized into a religion, I would probably pick Buddhism because of the passiveness of it. And just the tranquility that anything that has to do with Buddhism has brought to me. Um, I tattooed karma on my wrist when I was 18 because I was a huge believer in that. Um, Where was I going with that? I got sidetracked. Oh, but um, I was always annoyed that I would find things like metaphysically that still applied to like ancient texts and stuff. And then I, I didn't really even know how to like regurgitate it to people at the time. I was just like, oh, something, something's missing. We're missing something. 
the, the parts are too scattered. What's going yeah. on? Um, and it took me, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, could it have started with Hocus Pocus when I was a, a kid and just like liking stuff like that and then eventually turned into just researching on my own? I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm here now with a podcast about it, so I guess the passion's never gone away, right? Yeah. Where, um, I'm trying to think. I'm also trying to get these notifications off my screen. Um, how do I want to question this? So back to the intuition about you. Did you have, like, stories from when you were younger? Obviously, like, positive uh, the, things. The main like, story I have, yeah, the main story I have, um, I was in an orphanage for a couple of years when I was a kid. And um, when my age group was being adopted out, um, I was the last kid picked. And so it felt really bad. You know, it felt like I was the last kid picked for sports, except it was worse. And because nobody loved me, nobody wanted me, nobody cared for me. It was all of that, that I didn't, I didn't have a place, you know. And so I went in, I asked the nun if I could go into the chapel. And that was kind of odd because we always went in as a group. We always went in single file. We always sat, you know, a certain place and everything. So anyway, the nun said, yes, I could. And so I was all by myself. And I went into the chapel and I looked at all the statues. And, and you know, um, we were told that the statues were helpful. We were never taught to pray to the statue. Okay, but... Um, I looked at Jesus, uh, I looked at Joseph and Mary first, and then I um, uh, realized definitely that they were statues, and then I looked at Jesus on the cross, and that was a statue, and he couldn't come down and save me, and then I looked up at the ceiling, and it was like, oh, God, you're here. You're here. You'll always be here. You'll never leave me. You'll never abandon me. So that was my first recollection of actually seeing something that wasn't there tangibly. To understand that that God is always here. And if you don't believe in God as God, the universal power, the higher power, it's always there. It will never leave us. And it was and and so then. When um, I went back home with my mom, which wasn't pleasant for the next, what, 10 years or so, um, I always looked to the future for when I wasn't there anymore. And, and so I had to learn my intuition. I had to use my intuition, like, was she feeling good? Was she feeling bad? I had to use my intuition to pick on, up on her feelings so that I could protect myself and always be safe and do the right thing at the right time and be a good little girl and all that sort of thing. Which in psychology, um, I was reading a lady's like visits and she said, yeah, my psychologist actually said I'm not an empath. It's actually just a trauma response. And that is where... I get a little weirded out because I know like mental illness is real, but I also believe that all of us have clear senses, whether they're shut off, turned on, whatever. So yes, you might've had to use those empathic abilities 
for your fight or flight or your survival as a kid. But I don't think saying that in intuition is a trauma response because you had to gauge everybody in the room. Because I've even seen things where it's like, oh, if you can walk into a room and feel the energies in the room, you're not, you're not intuitive, you're not psychic, you're not empathic, like you're not any of that. You're actually just traumatized. And I just think no, it's, I just think I disagree with that. To me, like, I think spirit and science is supposed to work together. But when right. science is trying to trump out spirit, like, no, you're just severely traumatized. So you're basically living in a weird psychosis. It's just like, there's a lot more going on in the world than just everything in psychology. And I think science is still a baby comp compared to spirit and what we're all capable of. Yeah. I know that there's a great, great awakening that's happening. Um, yes. But I, I just get a little perturbed when I see stuff like that because I'm like, I don't have tunnel vision of just psychology references. I don't mind looking at both of them and comparing them to spirit. But at the end of the day, like my intuition isn't telling me like the only reason that I've been able to help people and you've been able to help people is because we were traumatized when yes. we were a kid in some facet or another, which is probably why yes. I haven't found the right therapist because that trips me out a little bit when they're like, <laughs> no, honey, you're not special. You're actually really effed up. Just take this pill. You'll be fine. I'll see you. Oh, I hate that. Week. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. I, um, sometimes. Okay. I deal with some pain. Okay. Some physical pain. Okay. It's part of my life. I'm okay with it. Um, but I do take something to dull the pain. And so the doctor was saying, okay, would you like to um, try this antidepressant? And I said no. And finally, after three times of him asking me, you know, within different visits, I thought, fine, I'll try it. It dulled my senses so bad that there was no feeling, no happiness, no sadness, no, 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 oh, excitement. I, I couldn't feel anything. And if anything will cause suicide, that will do it. And so, That's anyway, I said... If you feel like huh? you're going to kill yourself, come to the emergency yeah. room. We'll, lo we'll lock you in the mental ward and detox you and just try another pill. Yeah, so, so I said, I feel that we are given our emotions for a reason. And if we have our emotions, we need to deal with them. Even grief. Grief is one that scares the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. But... If you have to have grief, you have to process it. You have to go through it. If you take a pill that doesn't let you process it, then you're going to always have that grief. You're going to hold it there in a spot. Mm -hmm. And I do not believe that we should hold it in a spot. I think we should process it and let it go, just like we process food. Mm -hmm. We process food. We, we eat it because we're supposed to, and then we process it and let it go. Yeah, and then get that and, shit out of you. Like, yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a um, great wrap up. I'm glad we ended with this. I, I'm like <laughs> you too. I was put on medication when I was 19 through a, for a, I don't even know what you call it. Um, but I was like, you could shoot me right now. And I would be like, it's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah, whatever. Like I could die right now. And like, I'd be okay with that too. I yeah. like, the, it was But just, your light is too bright. You need to keep letting it shine. Oh, I threw them. Like I threw those things on the toilet for sure. It didn't last that long. Um, I gave it, like, I gave it probably a couple months because they're like, give it a couple months because, you know, it's going to mess with the neurons. And oh, brain, yeah. Right? Oh, like, yeah. give it some time. Um, so I just went back to smoking weed, and I started taking shrooms every six weeks to get my mind right. <laughs> and 
I, I mean, I talked to Jesus on shrooms the first time where like I took a lot, I was sitting on top of a tractor and I was just like, Jesus, what's going on? And he like floated up next to me and we just had like a really nice conversation. And I never got to tell people about these conversations till literally in the last couple years. Um, Cause even I like, they just kind of go back in your memory brain. The longer you go away from the like event horizon, you're just like, eh. What's the significance? Yeah. Like, why do I remember that? Um, but now I really do remember the conversations and I meditate often. Um, like I said, like Jesus, what he actually came to preach about unconditional love. Like I love talking mm -hmm. to that one. That's, I guess you could say it's more of like the ascended master aspect of it, but I still think there are some things in scripture that um, are valid, but I just, I prefer to broaden my horizons when I go and think of all of divinity that is coming around to help us. Just kind of like if there's an owner of a restaurant and you have a bunch of employees, that's kind of how I think of like everyone else. Yeah. So, um, yes, before we get off here, I just want to plug your business really quick. Um, you have a website. It's called rightfactsllc.com. I'm going to link it yes. below for anybody that wants to work with you personally or professionally. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommend it and if i find your letters i'll probably just make a facebook post for them later awesome yes so before we get off here vitality exposed is going to bring us unlike pluto rose colored glasses thank you again so much for coming on i love you to pieces i love you to pieces right back thank you so much yes. this is great yes. This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.